Johnson County, Texas, Joko Community Radio. Show me now, show me the arms of love, every high, trained on a different side, this is my chick, this is Hello, everybody. I'm so happy to be back with you for our second episode of How to Be a Human. My name is Tatiana Miller, and I am very excited for today's show because it is very relevant to the season we are in, the holiday season, which is when we hopefully are engaging with our loved ones and our family. Um, so this this episode is going to build upon the first episode, which was about who are you. And in who are you, we're exploring and establishing our identity, hopefully from a different perspective, perhaps a perspective that you've never uh, tried um, or even known about, and that is the holistic perspective. So today we're going to build upon that um, identity of who you are and talk about how we start forming our self-worth and our self-esteem. And it all starts with the family, la familia. And on that note, we're going to have a special guest um, towards the end of the show um, who's part of my familia. Um, and so it'll be interesting um, for you to hear different different perspectives, generational perspectives, uh, different cultures, different ways of thinking, which is normally why we clash, right, with, with our family and um, with other people. So we tend to... Um, have uh, extreme rejection for people that don't agree with us or act like we want them to act or not think like we want them to think or not do what we want them to do, which is um, why we're seeing so much chaos, so much polarity in the climate of our society currently, um, which just adds to the stress of the holiday season. Uh, but, you know, the, the point is of, of that song, I got called out from the dark, that there is light and there is hope. And that's what I hope um, to bring to you on this Thursday, uh, right before Christmas. So I wanted to start by answering two questions. After um, the first broadcast, I received um, two questions from listeners that I thought were um, not only very poignant, but also um, very good questions that will help expand an understanding of the, per the perspective that I'm coming to you from, which is the holistic perspective. So the first question was, when you say holistic psychological perspective, I have no idea what that means. So can you explain that is what the first question was. And, I, and I'd love to. So the, the essence of the holistic perspective is a study of how to embrace the balance between intuition and thought, information and wisdom, doing and being, action and patience, community and personal time. So it looks like how can we be true to our identity of who we are as a human, but at the same time, um, interact with our outside world, with our external, external circumstances, external influences, whether that be people, 
or that be situations or circumstances and find a balance um, in our being. So our being is part of our authentic self and authenticity matters a lot. It, it's what makes us who we are and what allows us to feel empowered with, with who we are, but it's not enough, right? Being is not enough. We can't just sit and meditate all day because we have bills to pay, we have people to interact with, and that would leave us um, without a purpose. So once we establish our sense of being, we can then transition to looking at and analyzing, which is what we're going to do today, um, what is doing, right? I, I talked a lot about we've become human doings. Well, in human doing, we're fulfilling our roles that we use to contribute to our microcosm, which is our, our immediate family, and then the macrocosm, which is our community, our state, our world. Um, and so knowing who you are and, and, and who you are as a being and being able to be with yourself in an authentic way is very important. But all humans need um, a sense of doing as well. And in that sense of doing, um, we become we become hopefully what uh, is our dharma. And in holistic medicine, your dharma is sort of your purpose. And when we have a sense of purpose, um, we can accomplish our, our mission or our desire and create the life that we want. Because um, once we form our identity, we can form the metrics of success and of accomplishment and what that means for us. And for all of us, um, that would be our self-worth. Um, and then in line with that would be our self-esteem, which brings me to a topic that is very disturbing and very heartbreaking that I have to touch on. I wasn't planning on it, but I, we, we can't look the other way. And as adults, we have a responsibility to our youth in this country um, to get it together and to stop the cycle of polarity, of finger pointing, of I'm right and you're wrong, because that is not taking us anywhere. What that's creating is a lot of chaos and chaos breeds confusion. And when there's confusion and chaos, there are behaviors that are going to lead to some very damaging circumstances. And that's exactly where we sit right now. And I think a lot of you heard, and if you haven't, um, I, I just want to highlight on a couple of statistics that came out last week. Um, so from 2009 to 2019, so a decade, and that's pr prior to COVID. So I want you to understand the baseline of this is that even before COVID, we um, what the statistics found were that... Um, Feelings of hopelessness and persistent sadness in youth ages 13 to 24 increased by 40%. So our youth are becoming hopeless, sad, and depressed. And we are all responsible for that, every single one of us. And what was found also is the, the most stressed generation is Gen Z. Um, that's 13 to 24-year-olds. Um, that was a a study uh, published by the Center of Public Affairs. They surveyed 3,764 people. And what does that mean? That means that we are no longer living in a world where we need to survive, right? Our survival instinct has been met. People have food, people have shelter for the most part. And all of our basic needs have been met and our youth um, because of COVID and even before COVID um, are very much out of tune with their authentic selves due to social media 
and the influences of the media itself. Um, they want to base uh, who they are on what's trending and how many likes they get and um, who's who's getting attention, whether that be positive or negative. And all they're doing is becoming screenheads and addicted to internet and, and technology. Um, and there's very little becoming. There's very little sense of purpose. Um, if it's not that you're a... Um, social media star, um, we don't see um, a lot of other things happening. And, and that's very concerning, very, very concerning. So hopefully this episode will help you if you have children or if you have nieces and, ne- and nephews or, or, or young children mm-hmm. around you, help you maybe start up some courageous conversations during the holidays with them to help them see that um, there is hope, that there's other ways of living other than sad, um, that there are ways to find purpose in life, um, and that your roles that you've had so far um, can change, that, that you have the power to choose um, because that's how self-esteem begins to form with when we're young. So we talked about in the last episode, our identity. And the other question that I had um, was, when you say mind, body, and spirit, what do you mean by spirit? And so I want us to take a moment and um, do a little exercise because I promised you tools and I promised you um, that I would help you build a toolkit to help yourself and to help your family. So in order to answer the question of what I mean by spirit and do I mean soul, we're going to do an exercise. So I'd like for you, unless you're driving, (laughs) don't close your eyes if you're driving, but I'd like for you, if you can take a moment and close your eyes, And I would like for you to imagine a rose. And I want you to see it. And I want you to notice. And then I want you to imagine a flame. And then I want you to imagine a dog barking. So did you have to try hard to send your attention and awareness to a rose or a dog barking or a flame? The answer is no. Uh, All you had to do was have an intention. I, with my words, introduced an idea and you went and collected an experience that you'd had and brought it to the forefront. That was the picture that you saw. So... Can we agree that um, that was in your core consciousness? Um, MRIs allow us to see uh, at a microscopic level what is happening in our neurons when you think. And what neurologists have found is that all that happens in your brain is electricity when you think. So your brain does not contain the idea of the rose and whatever color you gave it or the flame or the dog barking. Your brain is an organ and it uses electricity as a means to uh, correspond to the experience. In other words, there's no experience ever in the brain. There's just electricity. Um, So the relationship between what's happening in your brain and what's happening in your consciousness, that's what this show is focused on. 
That's what we're focusing on um, because they take place at the same time. So they're simultaneous expressions of your intention. And that's something that um, is untangible. That's something that we have to explore. But that in itself is um, the experience that's in your consciousness. That rose is in your consciousness, not in your brain. So your consciousness, that essence is your soul or your spirit. And it is that that is reflective of nature, right? It's energy. Nature is energy. Um, This is why we must tap into our consciousness or our soul or our spirit, or you can give it a name. It doesn't matter because it's just energy. Um, You know, I I say this a lot and I'm going to continue to say it. Um, Children need to be taught this. They need to be taught this um, by their families and they need to be taught this in school. We study everything else. We study language. We study how to teach. We study everything you can imagine we study. But how many of you have ever taken the time to study or understand your your consciousness? Um, So, you know, I asked you who you are. I have a new question. Where are you? Where are you? Where is the sound you're hearing of my voice? And if you said in my consciousness, you are correct. Uh, Are you making a sound? Am I making a sound? No, I'm vibrating my vocal cords and that vibrates the atmosphere and the atmosphere vibrates your eardrums and your eardrums vibrate to produce electricity. And that electricity goes to your brain and all along there's no sound. Wow, right? Uh, The sound is produced in your consciousness. You produced it. And uh, you're manufacturing Tatiana speaking to you in English or in Espanol, (laughs) whichever one you want. And so that takes us to the episode that we're going to do today, which is that in our consciousness, um, holistic medicine says that social conditioning, which is starts with the family, is all a hallucination. It's all a hypnosis. All experience is subjective or or objective in your consciousness. What we're seeing right now in society is a very subjective um, experience of consciousness and, and not ever moving into objectivity. So that's very important to note. Um, we're going to take an objective look at how family influences us and how families start to build upon our behaviors. Um, because remember, we have innate behaviors, but they're very primal. You know, it's the suckling of a baby, drinking milk. It's our ability to, to um, you know, digest and poop and pee. But behaviors that we think of as behaviors are learned. And where do we learn them? We learn them depending on the environment we're in, whether that's a family or an orphanage or grandparents or whatever it is, that's where we start to learn it. So most people identify with themselves as their body, Um, but the body is in you, you know, Um, and your soul doesn't occupy space. It's transcendent. It's beyond space and time. Um, That is why... um, you know, we are related and attached to everything in life. We are life. Life is us. 
in yoga, we say namaste, which means like the light in me sees and recognizes the light in you or the love in me sees and recognizes the love in you because it's all energy and energy um, it, it flows, right? We can't create it. We can't destroy it. We can only transform it. And that's the power that we have. Um, and so looking at it from like a very basic sort of perspective of everything in the universe is a vibration going on and off at lightning speeds. That's why we call it the speed of light. And the on and off is um, our brains. We are a reflection of the universe. Um, an experience is in our souls and we carry that with us. Um, so it's very similar to, which is fascinating to me because I hate technology, but <laughs> I learned from a neurologist that I respect very much that I used to work with that, um, there's this, this weird, um, similarity between our, our cell phones, Right because cell phones are a vibration that's invisible. And when the pictures on your phone show up, that's an on and off signal. And then when you put your phone to your ear in here, um, then it goes through your ear, the on and off signal. And then um, your brain is firing on and off, but it's, it's again, all a part of our consciousness. Um, so we'll go more into that um, as we build upon in each one of these shows. Um, so that is a very long answer to the question, what is the soul? Um, but it's important because I think when you have different perspectives and you have different views, it kind of makes it easier for you to make your own sort of um, understanding of, of who you are and why things happen and, and, and how things make sense. Um, which leads me um, to our next topic, which is do we think that babies are born empty vessels? Meaning, are they just a body? After everything I just told you and went over, um, do we think that babies are born empty vessels? And the perspective of, of holistic medicine um, and, and Western medicine is that um, we're all born with coding, Right, And that coding in our physiology is called DNA. And we're all very familiar with DNA. That's just our genetics. And it's, it's how we're, our bodies are coded. And there's tests that we can take even before we have a baby to see what their genetics are, if they're, if they're, if they're, you know, they're going to have something going on. Um, we take it and, and men take it before women get pregnant. We're very familiar with the coding that's in our physiology. But, but what about the coding that's a part of um, how we relate and to the world, which is our personality traits. And that also um, studies and research seem to show that, that we come with certain coding. And I think anybody that has had children knows that children are just born with certain types of personalities. Um, even in twins, there's been studies of twins where same time of conceivement, same parent, same womb, born at the same time, raised the same way, same experiences, same culture, same, same everything. And two totally different types of people with different personality traits because our personality traits, um, what we now know in psychology is that they remain relatively stable. 
However, they can be augmented or diminished depending on environment or context, um, but they tend to, to stay stable. Um, and then there's the spirit, right, or the soul. And is, is that come pre-programmed? Well, there's a lot of debate on that. Um, but there is coding that babies are born with, and, and that's part of who they are, their identity, what we talked about in the last episode. So today we're going to talk about how we begin to form our habits, our behaviors, um, our understanding of the world. So it's like a Lego, right? We have our foundation of who we are and now we're building the the structure um, and we take in everything through our senses. So everything that we perceive, that our brain perceives um, or registers comes in through our senses. And something super, super interesting that I learned working with neurologists is that um, when a brain is cut, um, you can't feel it. Your brain doesn't feel it. However, if I cut my hand, my brain registers pain and then I know that I'm in pain. Um, Very, very interesting to know that. So everything that we perceive, our brain is sort of processing and sending information for us to understand or inform. And I want to tell a story about uh, one of the first doctors that um, sort of was the groundbreaker in um, actually wanting to study the soul. And he was a a neurosurgeon and his name was Dr. Penfield. And Dr. Penfield was performing brain surgery um, on a lady. So, you know, she was, she had anesthesia and he went and informed the family, I'm about to start the surgery. This is how much it should take. Came back, started, you know, doing brain surgery. And the the woman on the table, the patient began to speak. And she said, you know, I'm at a picnic. And all the people that the doctor had greeted and spoken to that were in the waiting room, she started to bring up, described how they were dressed, gave a lot of details. So the nurse um asked, well, where are you? If all these people are at a picnic and you're talking about it, where are you? And she said, well, I'm here having brain surgery. Well, her brain was being cut. (laughs) So this doctor said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to have to step outside the box here because before then, and this was in the seventies, I don't remember exactly when in the seventies before then Western medicine had sort of thought, no, your brain is where you're where your memories, where your thoughts, where everything kind of lives. And that's who we are. And so he started to say, yeah, I think there's something more to it. I think there's something more to it. Um, And and that's what we're going to continue to explore, these deep questions. And the third sort of comment, it wasn't really a question that I got after the first show, was somebody said, um, you know, I really wish that a lot of the things that you talked about were mentioned to us when we were in high school, because when I was in college, I just felt so lost as a person. I did really well academically. I was in business school, um, but I started to have all these questions, essential questions about, you know, my essence and the essence of life. And I really wish that um, these things were shared with us. Um, And he said, that's why I, even though I was in business school, I decided to get a philosophy degree and philosophy helped me sort of start to explore and understand some of these questions. Um, So we're going to do that today about the family and hopefully this will give you some tools um, and ideas to interact with that one person that is super annoying or rubs you the wrong way or is inappropriate in your family, it'll give you a kind of a different perspective. 
So we all know that there's many different types of families. In fact, I just had to do, a, I was asked to do a corporate training, a continuing education training for some clinical staff at a company. They asked me to research and put together a training about the current state of relationships and couples specifically and how they were affected by COVID. So I started to, you know, start with how I always start, like what is the baseline? So, so what is, what is a, a couple in 2021? And, you know, I found many different, um, definitions and types of relationships and partnerships that I didn't even know existed. And, and that's, that's part of life. And I think that's a big contributor to why our youth, um, are experiencing such chaos and such, um, you know, inability to find order. And that's because there's one thing that's constant in life and in humanity, and that's change. We're always changing, which means we have to adapt. But there's been so much change in this Gen Z, um, so fast, so quickly. um, And instead of adapting to it and working together to sort of grow with it, um, we've just kind of wanted to force it on people. And older generations and even my generation were like, whoa, 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 you know, I've been living 40 years with these constructs and these understandings. And now you're asking me to totally shift, which, which is doable. You know, we can work together to make everybody feel accepted and loved and welcome and respected. Um, but it all starts with our family. So if we grew up in a family um, you know, with the mom and the dad, like my like my parents did um, in the 60s and 70s, um, their thinking and what they were taught and started to be programmed um, is very different than what I, as a, I don't even know what my generation is called, but, you know, as a 40-year-old person growing up in the 80s and 90s, the ideas were very different of families and, 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 and how we conducted ourselves and what was acceptable and what was appropriate to now, even me, how I'm raising my children and the conversations that I'm having with them. So I think it's important to note here that from a perspective of holistic medicine, we take a 360 degree look at what is happening um, around us, um, what has changed, um, what do we understand and don't we understand? And instead of having fear of what we don't understand, being curious and, 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 and being open to understanding new ways of thinking and new ways of, of forming relationships. Um, the most interesting thing that I found is that um, the Gen Z and even 30 and younger, they no longer believe in marriage. Most of these people are wanting to cohabitate and they don't believe that a certificate is what binds them together. We will be back and we'll continue our conversation. Are you paying too much for term life insurance? There's a tremendous price war among the major term life companies. Rates have dropped dramatically in the past two years. For example, a man age 45 non-tobacco user. $1 million of coverage is only $75 per month. Level for the next 10 years. Or a man age 50 non-tobacco user can buy a half million dollars of coverage for a monthly premium of only $110. Guaranteed not to change for the next 20 years. That's right. Level rates for 20 years. And if you're a smoker, we 
have great rates for you as well. At the Term Lifeline, we specialize in policies of a half million dollars and above. So if you're looking for new or replacement term life insurance, call right now for a free quote. Rates and availability may vary by state. Sample rate quotes are based on preferred non-tobacco underwriting exam required to qualify. 800-803-2142. Fast Track Student Loans can get your student loans out of default, stop any wage garnishments, stop collection calls, and stop seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and get your student loan payments down to as little as $25 a month based on what you can afford to pay. 800-709-4395 Out of date carpet giving you the blues? Tired of your old dingy and broken tile? Let my friends at the floor store in Cleburne, Texas give your home the makeover it deserves. This is old Taco Joe coming to you for the floor store. Whether it's carpet, tile, wood flooring, or real wood laminate, the floor store can cover all of your flooring needs. Located at 405 West Henderson Street in Cleveland, Texas, owner Brent Harris can help. Shower tile, tub surrounds, even backsplashes. Give them a call today at 817-641-9444. The Floor Store, they've got you covered. Welcome back. We are Choco Community Radio and proud to be the voice of Johnson County, Texas. And we're live 365 on the TuneIn Radio Network. To listen, go to tuneinjoco.com and download the free app. All of our shows can also be found on any one of your favorite podcast platforms, such as Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, and Spreaker. Check out our lineup and more on hokocommunityradio.com. And thanks for tuning in. This episode and more brought to you by Next Level Claims, making your insurance work for you. Reach out to your Texas sales rep, Nona Reed, at 844-839-4245. So we are back, and those of you that are watching live can see that I have a guest. We're talking about family dynamics, and I will introduce my guest. Her name is Yvette, and Yvette happens to be me mama. And the reason why I wanted to bring me mama on is because if there is one person that I have had to really, really work to get along with and heal and overcome and break cycles is, is with my mom. And that is because, as I mentioned before in our first segment, um, babies are born with certain coding. We're born with our genetics. We're also born with our personality traits. And I think that um, my mom and I are very, very different humans. Would you agree, mom? Absolutely. <laughs> and and my mom was a young a young mom in Mexico City and she came from a from a very uh, specific family dynamic and and the topic today is family dynamics but also we're in the holiday season and what I want to encourage people to do is is, is to try to take a different perspective of those family members or those people around you that really trigger you or push your buttons. Because what I've learned through holistic medicine and through understanding um, family roles, uh, healthy versus unhealthy relationships, is that 
a lot of times the things that bother you about other people are unresolved issues within yourself. And they're also things that scare you. And when things scare us, we become defensive. And when we become defensive, there's a shield that comes down and an inability to um, work together and move forward um, in in a way that is that is what we call a healthy relationship. So before we get into um, family dynamics um, and engage uh, my mom here, I wanted to just highlight... Um, Going back to our youth and the struggle that our youth are having, making sense of the world and making sense of who they are. When we're young, we don't know anything. We don't know anything about the world. We're, we're trying to make sense of it. Um, we're learning through our senses. And that is how we start to be who we are. And a lot of times um, in families, there's some dynamics like secrets or power struggles or abuse or neglect or children being used as pawns um, or children being forced to take on roles um, that are not appropriate as in addiction when one of the parents has addiction and the child feels the need to protect that parent and become sort of the parent role in the family. Um, and, and what this is called is this is pathological behavior. And a lot of times this behavior is repeated generationally. And the only way to um, stop this is to break the cycle. And I know um, in my family, um, and in, in my own marriage, um, I've worked really, really, really hard to use the tools that I've learned, the tools that I'm sharing with you to break these dynamics and break these cycles. And I've gotten to watch um, being a part of a, a very dynamic and dysfunctional Hispanic family um, that cycles can be broken and that healing can occur, um, but it takes individual accountability and it takes a desire on um, an individual to do so, whether that be to heal themselves, you know, because it all starts with you. And, you know, there are times when we have to retreat within ourselves and take introspection so that we can then rejoin um, interacting with those that we love or with our family with boundaries. But we can't have boundaries if we don't know what's healthy for us or if we don't know what's healthy in the first place. So one of the things I want to discuss that's very relevant to this is how a lot of us have these um, judgments or resentments or confusions about the way that our parents raised us or the choices that they made. And something that I've come to understand working with people, working in a hospital and seeing families in crisis um, and, and then working with, with children and teenagers is that, you know, there is no manual to raising children. I did not receive a manual when my kids were born. Did you? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and even, even, you know, in my mom's generation, there were a lot less things that were talked about. There were a lot less courageous conversations happening. And that's why I asked my mom to come on because in understanding the dynamic that my mom was raised in, um, the, the cultural construct, what was happening in the world, I understood that um, my mom did the best that she could um, as I have done the best that I can with my children. And have I made mistakes? Oh my gosh, so many. So, so many. Um, but I, I'd made my mistakes 
in trying to do what I thought was best at the time. And I think that just understanding that can bring healing to a relationship with a loved one. Understanding that a lot of the choices we make as parents are not in an effort to hurt our children. They're in an effort to help our children and protect our children. So I want my mom to share a little bit about um, her generation. And I'll give you a little bit of background. My mother's mom was um, born in the United States um, to an American family um, that came from a ranch. So their um, sort of um, mode of being was very hard work, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. How else would you, we call her granny and um, granny was a big influence in my life. She was my great grandma because I kind of look like her, but I have a lot of feistiness as she did, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and she taught me a lot of things about life. I always got along really well with her, even though as I got older, I realized that she was real rough around the edges. Um, and so I want to start with the foundation of who she was and then we'll move down. And hopefully this will allow you to understand your grandparents and your parents a little bit better and how what you're currently living in your family dynamics, why that happens and, and how that flows. So granny came from a ranch. She was the youngest of how many? Of 12 or 13. Right. And they were in a part of California where um, they were being attacked constantly, Right. Yes, they lived in um, uh, Sun Death Valley, I think it was, close to Death Valley in our ranch where they had to survive out of what they did and they raised horses. And uh, that was a very hardworking environment. And, and it was interesting because when her mother found out she was pregnant, her kids, the oldest kids, had already been going to the war. So it was for her, it was a big difference of being raised and helping out in the ranch. And there was Japanese families living there that helped with, with the crops and, and the horses and all that. And her train of thought was, you work hard for what you get and you better do it right the first time. There's no room for, for a um, mistake and there was no room for not getting things done. Yeah, so let's pause right there. So... There was no room for mistakes and no room for getting things done because you would die or your family would suffer. I remember hearing stories of um, the um, Native Americans whose land had been taken. <laughs> they rightfully were coming and, and attacking them and taking their goods. Um, but that was something you didn't know when it was coming, right? So it was a sense of unknowing, of instability. So they were constantly in survival mode, right? Yes. At yes. this ranch. Mm -hmm. So you take this very hardy, right? As when we speak of personality traits, my great grandmother had really no room but to be hardy and resilient. And um, she had to um, learn how to get along with men, right? Because she, she didn't have a feminine environment. No, yes, she had a lot of brothers and all the brothers were hard workers and they were all racing their horses and do their things. And there was just, she was just another pair of hands that needed to do work. Right. Yes. So that's what her construct was. She was this vessel born into this family with her genetic coding and her personality traits. And then she had to adapt and form to this hardy environment with no room for mistakes where she was surrounded by men. So you take this very tough woman that got married at a really young age. She was like 15, 17? 17. She 18. was 17 
And she married my great grandpa who had been to the war. He was much older than her. Mm -hmm. He'd been a butcher on a Navy ship. Yes. So he's coming from also a mentality of life or death, survival, hard work, no room for mistakes. Um, however, he sort of helped her have that feminine side and nurtured that. Yes, he was a the the he ended up being also a horse racer. And what happened with the family was that at the very when my mother was eight months old, that family decided to move from uh, that was 1942, so the, the time of the war, and they had moved to Mexico City because Mexico City wanted to open a horse a racetrack, and so they asked them to bring their horses. So he and other people brought their horses to Mexico, and they wanted to uh, establish the horses and my grandmother was a trainer and she was the only feminine trainer she had been raised with horses so the the couple worked really well in doing the butcher shop and doing the horse training and the racing the, at the racetrack and that was a world where she was not accepted she had to fight her way through she had to to make way for herself to to be accepted as a person that could do a man's job and do it very, very well. And by the way, in like five inch heels, because I've seen the pictures. So she was a very beautiful redhead with deep, deep, deep green blue eyes. Very gorgeous lady trying to be a horse trainer in a man's world in a, in a country where she did not speak the language. Um, and that's where she had to hone into these skills she had learned growing up on a ranch. Um, and, and she made it, right? She became super popular. Yes, yes. She was a first female trainer and she also was very good at what she did. And so she gained a lot of popularity among the social um, class and along the the, the society that was there where she became to, she was she became known as a fierce woman that would get things done and would not back down. Yeah. She would say, okay, I'm going to throw out a curse word. So if you have children cover their ears, she would always say to me, don't ever take no shit. You just don't take no shit, period, end of story. And I always learned that from her. And I, and I still um, am very much that way. But so she had to overcome all of these things and became very hard and, and moved to another country. And, um, you know, I, there's a story that I love about her, and that is that she never drove. However, one of, is it the president of Mexico that sent her a Cadillac as a yes. gift? So the president of Mexico sent my grandmother a Cadillac as a gift, and what did she do? She said, I ain't driving. <laughs> she said, I don't care if it's from the president. I don't care if it's a Cadillac. I'm still not driving. If you want to send me a chauffeur, then I'll get in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so very hardy woman, very... Much a tough, a tough woman. And then um, my grandmother moved. Uh, she was born when they moved to Mexico City, but she moved there um, as a young child eight and even old. eight months old. So even though she grew up with American parents, she grew up in Mexico City. Um, and I will let my mom describe her mom because I only know her as a grandma. And as we all know, um, the perception that children have of their grandparents is not the perception that children have of their parents. Um, so I think that's something to take note um, as well. Uh, so what would you describe your mother as? Well, she was raised within an American family with all the American culture, traditions, language, uh, holidays, festivities in an American society. But she did go to school with a 
Mexican crowd, let's put it that way. And she grew up with both sides of culture. So she had to belong in both in both settings. And that made her really figure out how to struggle because there, there was a place and time where what my grandmother was doing was not appropriate for the Mexican society of the time or of the income level or of the social Meaning a, a woman being a horse trainer where women in, in, that, in that time and age were supposed to be housewives. That's what was acceptable. Yes. Right? You, you were raised in the Mexican society of the time. You were raised to, your path was traced. You were born, you went to school or only certain part of school, not all, all, not school all the way. And then you got married, had kids, raised your kids, did the housewife things and was religious and did what you had to do. That was your role. And my mother didn't fit into that role. She was a young woman when she got married and had kids. And she was used to having a different life, hardworking life, because she also worked since she was young. According to the American standards, it was okay. But to the Mexican standards, that was terrible. And uh, so she always had to figure out how to adapt to both worlds and make that come together that would work for her. So let's pause right there. I want to highlight that even though we're speaking about a family that migrated to Mexico, the struggle that my mother is describing is the struggle that a lot of people um, have dealt with as they come to the U.S., where we have many, many youth growing up in multicultural families, um, some even, you know, some even like a Japanese mom uh, and an African-American dad. Those are two cultures um, that are having to blend. So this struggle of living in a multicultural world, we're all living it in the U.S. Um, and trying to adapt to what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. These are things that children learn. And how many times have you talked to your six-year-old, your five-year-old, your eight-year-old, your 19-year-old about these things and these parts of life? Um, I have been very blessed with a 17-year-old son that is an old soul. And he always was very anchored in himself and his identity and has asked me and challenged me and pushed me to answer these hard questions. Um, and so I've always had these open dialogues with him and, and he is able to navigate through these struggles, even within our own family when we have conflict. Um, but my younger child is not as curious. He doesn't ask these questions. So I have to find ways to bring it up to him and explain to him, hey, this tension is happening at the dinner table because, you know, grandma and your uncle, um, they don't see things the same way. But the problem with secrets and energies and things that children feel when they're not explained to them, because nobody explained this to granny or to my grandma, right? No, it was just deal with it. Right. Whatever comes, just figure it out. Or if you don't figure it out, just move on. Right. And so we weren't having these conversations and it, it was, it's hard for children to understand things that they can't process or that they can't voice. So when we have families, for example, where there's abuse or there's lies or there's cheating, these kids know it. They don't know what it's called. They don't know what to do about it or how to process it. They don't even know that these are toxic dynamics in a relationship. So I think by using my family's story, specifically through the women's side, um, I've understood why 
there was harshness in the way that my great grandma related to me and not super duper nurturing hugs like my Mexican grandma. It was opposing situations. But my son is having to navigate through the same things because he's I'm married to an American man and his family um, relates to him in a different way than my family. And so there's questions there and there's a need to understand why people are different, why the interaction is different. Um, so we move on to my grandmother who there was a struggle of cultures. There was a struggle of, um, she always had motivation to work and she liked to work. And then my grandfather was like, no, because he came from a very traditional Mexican family and, um, he, he thought that his wife needed to look down and do what she was told basically. Yes. And that is part of the upbringing of, I think the Culturally, many men were raised at, and do many years were raised to the point to where say you have to be the provider of your family, the provider financial, and the mother has to be the one that provides emotionally or pronounce or, or is the administrator. So when the roles are divided like that, there's and there's no social skills to promote good communication, or there's no communication skills to be to build problem solving. Then there's your two people are there with the love and the want to make it happen, but they're in different tunes. Right. So there's a clash, even though the desire is the same. And I'm going to sidetrack really quickly and tell you a story about the current struggle and polarity and difference of ideas that we're facing. Because I think what my mom just brought up is so, so important in the current time that we're living. And that is that a lot of times in families, everybody has the same motivator, the kids, and there's a love that unites. But in these differences of personality, of upbringing, of ideas, of what we were told not to do or to do, of what we think we should do, everything that we're talking about today, there becomes a disconnect and a clash and people give up or they don't know how to work it out. And Right now, what we're seeing is people in two opposite camps and families, a lot of times, even in marriages about um, and, and in schools and with parents vaccine versus not vaccine. I saw a really compelling video that describes what my mother was talking about, even though they wanted to work it out and had the same motivator. And that's that they had this debate and it was a very loud um, pointing fingers, um, challenging debate, lots of tension between people that wanted their kids vaccinated and people that did not want their kids vaccinated. And at the end of the debate, the moderator said, okay, everybody come forward, get on the stage. They were on opposite sides. And she said, I want everybody to close their eyes. So they did. And she said, if you are here because you would do anything in your power to defend your child and protect them, walk forward. Every single person on that stage walked forward. And what that says to me is we all want the same thing. Why can't we work together? And why can't we work together? It's exactly what we're talking about. It's the dynamics of how we're thinking, of how we were raised, of the things we don't understand, of the courageous conversations we're not having. So back to your grandparents, what would you say some of the things that you felt that weren't talked about, like secrets or tension or what were some of the things that, pop out at you about what you couldn't pinpoint but you knew was happening? Well, most of the time it was uh, situations where the way people handle their finances, the way that people handle their their decision-making about education, about religion, about how to deal with toxic family members, about dealing with family secrets where it's not okay to 
talk about those things because they cause that those things promote passion. They ignite uh, people to think about their own limiting beliefs and their own beliefs and their loyalties and and their allegiance to specific sides of the family for many reasons. And what happened, basic what happens basically is that there is a, a tension. The atmosphere is if you speak. You better be ready to be killed for your thoughts. If you dare, you better not dare because you're going to be put out or down. And if you do, be ready to be ostracized. And that only comes from the fact that it was at that time not okay to be transparent, not okay to be authentic, not okay to be to be a visionary about the family or about the individuals. It was just protect the gang. And the gang being each side of the family. And with that, I think that that translates a lot into what's happening in this world. Everybody can be right according to their own filters, according to their own beliefs, according to their own uh, points of view, education, background, history, baggage, unresolved issues. Everybody can be right. The point is that we don't know how to express our points to where we can come to the point of saying, do we both want the same thing and how can we work together? And that togetherness doesn't mean losing your identity or losing your history or losing your filters. It just means be open to the perception that the other person has so that you can feel why they're defending their point so passionately and so intensely. And then from there, you can say, oh, okay, well, I can see where you're coming from, but how, could, how can we make this a better place for us. And one of the things I want to mention uh, that she said before was when we do our best as parents, to me, parenthood has been like being on a canoe going through the rapids. And my only job has been to keep my kids on my canoe so that they, they don't fall off so that we can get to the calm waters and, and make it to the other side. And in that moment, what I think happens to families and now with all this media and all this intensity of of uh, noise, 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 noise from the world around us is you don't have time. You better keep everybody on the raft and that's the only thing that you can do. Because if you take your eyes off them, somebody will fall off and you lose them. And that's what nobody wants. Nobody wants to lose their kids. Nobody wants to lose their connection to their family. Nobody wants to be off the raft. So we're back on, on you know, right now where we're living in COVID is this sense of, of survival, right? But we, we, we have to move out of that at some point. Um, and, and during the holidays, sometimes we feel that way. If I can just get through this hour with my family, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a Valium or I'm going to drink some cocktails so I can put up with my family. But the end of that and the essence of that is that at the end of that one hour or two hours or whatever time limit you put those issues, those secrets, those tensions, those, those disappointments, those expectations are still there. And what I want to offer you, um, before we go to the break, um, before we begin the next segment is we all talked about love. Most families, um, all have love for one another. And what I want to offer you, um, during the break for you to sort of ponder is, what if love meant compassion for others, empathy for what they're going through or why they're so passionate or why they're hurting about a subject, and then gratitude that we don't all think the same and that we don't all feel the same because we've all read the books and we've all seen the movies where everybody is a robot and, and you know even utopia living and that's boring and that doesn't work and that doesn't push us to grow and that doesn't force us to... Um, 
look at other people and enjoy other people. So it's kind of like without hate, there's no love, right? Or even you can't really hate unless you're loving someone. And, and that's a polarity in itself. From Burleson to Venus and Grandview to Godley, this is the voice of Johnson County, Joko Community Radio. From Burleson to Venus and Grandview to Godley, this is the voice of Johnson County, Joko Community Radio.